Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast, then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we're in uh, the book of Titus. We're continuing our study of Titus. And I think uh, today we're going to be going over chapter 2 of Titus. And then tomorrow, chapter 3, and we'll be finished with the book of Titus. Titus, again, a young preacher, a young uh, Greek that uh, became Paul's friend after he heard the gospel. He was converted. He joined Paul. He went on many of his uh, missionary journeys. Uh, Now, Paul, this is at his later years in life, he's leaving Timothy in charge at Ephesus. He's leaving Titus in charge uh, at Crete, the island of, uh, of Crete. And uh, so he is going to be a young minister. This is a pastoral uh, epistle. This is one of the uh, Timothy and Titus are these considered pastoral epistles. In other words, he's given he's given advice to a young preacher who's supposed to take over this church there. And um, as we saw in the earlier chapter, the Cretans were sort of known for their being lazy liars. Uh, gluttonous people. They're just on this beautiful island, and they probably don't have a lot, a lot of motivation other than just kind of enjoying themselves, um, you know. And sometimes uh, I think, you know, we're in the same boat. Where this letter is just as relevant to us today as it as it is to Titus uh, back here. Now, of course, we're not leading. A lot of us aren't leading churches, but. We're leaders wherever God puts us, and I'm, I've been kind of reading this book with that in mind. You know, I, I mean, you could sort of say, okay, this is is a book that just applies to the teacher, you know, and we can understand that, but we're all to be teachers. We're all to learn from uh, God's example, and so from that, we can, we can learn how we ought to act as he's telling Titus uh, how he ought to act. And whether you're a husband, you're a wife, uh, you're a, you go to school, you have kids, or you are a kid, I mean, somewhere in your journey uh, every day, you'll be able to, to show someone else godly living. And this is really how to live a godly life, how to teach others, how to affect others in a godly life. And so we should read this and should learn the impact that that our godly life can have on someone else. 
And so it's with that I'll start I'll start reading. So chapter two verse one, but as for you, this is as for you, Timothy, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, everything that you do to impact someone else, when you teach someone, when you interact with someone, whether it's your teaching through your mannerisms, through your speech, through um, your words or deed, needs to be in accordance with the gospel message. It has to be about the gospel, has to represent the gospel. That's what you need to do. And specifically as a teacher, as a preacher, uh, you want to, it always starts with sound doctrine. These are the words of God, not the words out of your mouth. This is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom that you think you know what's going on. It's God's wisdom. It's God-centered mind and heart, not self-centered mind and heart. And that's sometimes much easier said than done. But this is um, this is the the fundamental thing that must have uh, happen is that whatever you do, whatever you think and say and do, whatever impact your little life will make. It needs to be made based on sound doctrine. All the other stuff in your life, all the other stuff that you think might be important, all the other stuff that you're working on or working towards has to be the doctrine, the sound doctrine of the gospel message. Otherwise, you're sort of off doing your own thing, most likely. So keep it sound doctrine. Timothy, keep it sound doctrine, all of us. Then he's, then he's, um, he gets down to several groups of people here to give like examples. Older men are to be somber-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So what is that? Are you just talking about old men here? Well, really, these are the people who are supposed to be giving examples back to the other people. Right, And so this is what you're trying to point your boat towards. This is what you're trying to steer towards. This is good behavior. This is example of godly living, being sober-minded. Okay, so you can think of sober-minded as, you know, not drunk, okay, but also sober-minded in that your mind needs to be centered on Christ. It needs to be self-controlled minded. Okay, sober means you know you're not drunk, you're not out of control. It needs to be a sober mind is a mind that starts with being Christ-centered, dignified. Christ calls you to a life that's dignified in dignity. Now that doesn't mean you have to be rich or wealthy or to drive fancy cars or expensive have expensive clothes. No matter where you are or what you do, you can act dignified. Your mind has to be sober-minded. You have to be able to... Christ is calling all of us to grow up in a way to be dignified. Self-controlled. Okay, again, this circles back. You want to be self-controlled to the point where you're controlling yourself to allow God to be in control. You're not being self-centered, you're being God-centered. And then he says, look, he says, sound 
in three things, faith, love, and steadfastness. Sound in faith, and faith is more precious than gold. Your faith is your trust in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's your faith. Your faith comes from hearing the word of God. It's your faith that is, um, as he said in chapter 1, he's talking about faith. In chapter 2, he's talking about faith. Back in chapter 1, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Okay? Faith is not a feeling. It's not, you don't wake up and see the sun shine and go, oh, my faith is great today. No, faith is not a feeling. In other words, when things are good, you have great faith. And when things are bad or somebody rips you off, your, your faith just falls apart, you know. And now I'll just go on a drinking binge or now I'll just, you know, it's okay for me to be depressed for a while because I'm just absorbed in my own things. No, faith is a trust that no matter what your circumstances your trust is in the Word of God, based on your knowledge of the Word of God. So it all comes back to sound doctrine that we're talking about up in verse 1. Our faith is based on sound doctrine. Our faith is based on our knowledge of the Word of God. And that's how you get back in chapter 1, verse 1, which accords with godliness. So your faith, based on knowledge is in accordance with godly living. In other words, living a godly life comes from the Word of God, comes from sound doctrine. So we need to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So faith, the Word of God, in love, that's from the God of love, and in steadfastness, it's the God who is steadfast. All these are characteristics. All these are characteristics of God, of our Lord Jesus. Faith is trust in the Word of God. Love is the Word of God in action. And steadfastness is the eternal nature of the Word of God. The Word of God never ends. The Word of God has no boundaries in its authority, in its sovereignty. So be sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That's a lot of instructions for the older women. That means that's a big job. Being a woman's a big job. You got to take care of a house, and you're directly impacting the children, the young children, you're managing things. Um, this is a big job. And the first thing is reverent in behavior. Reverent. I mean, this is like 
the example of holiness is reverence. And uh, I think that as I read this, I think it's probably one of the most important things that a woman might be able to impact their home is with reverent behavior. Reverent behavior from the woman in a home sets the tone. Um, just I think that's just really powerful as I read that. Not slanderers or slave to much wine. When you slander other people, you know what that is? That's the power of what the tongue can do. The tongue is such a little part of the body, but it can do so much damage. Relationships can be broken arguments, all kinds of um, misunderstandings occur from that little tongue. The way people describe things or talk about other people, it's so important to not be slanderers or slaves to much wine. In other words, be self-controlled. Teach what is good and train young women to love their husbands and children. So, women are teachers and trainers. To be self-controlled, just like the men need to be self-controlled, the women need to be self-controlled. Pure, that word pure there is... Now, of course, nobody's sinless and pure, but that's what women are charged to be. To be pure. And I think that goes back to this reverent behavior. They want to show how to be pure. And if you can't learn how to be pure in your own home, what are the chances of, of you learning how to be pure out in the world? It's probably pretty low. And that's probably, I think, why God sets such a standard and give such an important charge to moms and dads, husbands and wives, but especially here on the wives, to show this example of purity. Working at home. Now, working at home, does that mean you can't have a job when, when you're a Christian woman? No, but it shows the importance of being there. It shows the importance of what working at home means. And for those who grow up in a home with a mother in the home, it's such a, it's such a blessing. Now, many people can't be home. Many people have to do other things and to work. And that's, we, you know, that's a part of life. But when you're home and you're working in your home, God says that is so important. So treasure those times. Let those times when you're working in your home be holy work. Be work that other people will see and set an example. Because when you're working at home, you're showing, you're teaching, you're instructing your children on how to work out in society, how to work at another job, or how to work when they're 
raising kids in a home. And those little examples that you set for your children to see as you correct them, as you rebuke them, as you punish them, as you lead them, as you instruct them, the examples of how you're working in your home is what your children remember. Are you an angry person? Are you a violent person? Are you quick to be a temper person? Are you someone that doesn't encourage your children? Those children will see your work or your good works or your bad works in your home. How important it is as you work in your home. Kind. Are you a kind mom? Or are you a mom that is a strict mom? Can you be a strict mom and not be a kind mom? Yeah, you can be strict. You can be authoritative. And sometimes you have to be. But if they don't see your kindness, then they miss something that they're supposed to get. It's an ingredient. It's a part of the recipe as the child grows up is to have a dose of kindness so that they know that that God is a kind God. If we didn't see God's love displayed in His ever-loving kindness, then that would make make, uh, being a Christian just such a daunting task. But isn't it interesting that woven throughout all Scripture, we see God's love, God's steadfastness, and God's kindness all through there. Submissive to their own husbands, like the Word of God, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Okay, being submissive. Now, submissive is just like Christ was submissive to the Father, so wives should be submissive to the husband. So back, I think it was in Galatians or Ephesians, when we were studying relationships, I think it was Ephesians, Paul was making the point that just as Christ is submitted submissive to the father wife submit or submissive to the husband it doesn't mean like you're you know you've got to be number you know number 2 in command and you know this subservient role and all this stuff it is a Christ-like relationship Christ was equal to God in every way there's the father the son the holy spirit In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word becomes flesh. So Jesus was the Word of God, becomes flesh. He allows Himself to be submissive to the Father. Why? Because He comes to serve in humility. So submissiveness is an acting out of your humility. You're the same value. Jesus Christ had the same authority the same sovereignty, but he comes in humility. So wives have the same authority. They have the same value. They have the same, there's no second class 
person in the relationship. We're all the same. But yet, he asks that wives have the humility of Christ in a Christ-like manner so that the husbands can lead, can have two leaders. And if one is not humble to allow the other one to lead, you get one person who's not humble, but you'll also get the other person who turns out not to be a good leader because they can't lead. Nobody follows. Everybody else wants to be a leader. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, this is a charge to the young men here. We've talked about older men, older women, now younger men. Self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So younger men, learn from the older men. Older men are self-controlled and dignified. Younger men are self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Self-control to allow God to be in control. Self-control to allow your ego and your pride to be under control so that you will be God-centered and the Word of God will come out of you and live in you. And your Holy Spirit can grow in you. Be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. So in other words, you want to be self-controlled, but be a model of good works. In other words, for other people to see. Be an example of what it is to do good why? Because you're impacting everybody that sees you. And in your teaching, if you teach somebody by what you do or think, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that can't be condemned or criticized by somebody else. It's really hard to criticize someone who's showing good works, integrity, dignity, and sound speech. It really is. You have to pick them apart a lot harder than a fool. And when you're giving your kids instructions, show integrity as you do it. Show dignity as you do it. And let what comes out of your mouth be sound in speech. Don't be argumentative. Don't let your own behavior be brought down to someone else's level of behavior when you're trying to correct them. Correct them from a higher level of good works, a higher level of integrity, a higher level of dignity, and a higher level of sound speech. That's where God wants you. God doesn't want you to to get down from your uh, from living a good life and scrap it up with someone. No, no, no. That's easy to, to be. People can criticize you then. Now you're down with them. Be a model of what is good so that when you have to correct, you're doing it from a good place.
Bond servants. Now, bond servants, again, you know, people say, does that mean slavery? Is that is, is Paul condoning slavery? No. The in these times, as we've said before, when someone they didn't have a good banking system like we have today. They didn't have a banking system. So so in other words, the, the ability to loan money out was not there. So they so instead of taking a loan out to, you know, purchase a piece of land or purchase a home or to put a down payment on, like if you want to get married, you have to put a, you know, you have to give something to the father or the bride. That was sort of the custom. If you didn't have the money saved up, if you didn't have the funds to do it, you could lend yourself out for a period of time as a bond servant. In other words, they called them bond servants. Sometimes they called them slaves. But that would be a voluntary submission to someone else who now is your, quote, master. And you work for them. And you work off the terms of whatever the loan is. You want to buy this piece of land? Okay, I'll be your servant for X amount of time. And after that, when the... um the agreement is fulfilled, the land becomes yours. So if you're under service with somebody, if you're working for somebody, today you'd be like an employee of somebody, you're to be submissives to their own masters. Now this is, again, master meaning employer. You're to be submissive to your own employer or your own master in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. That means don't steal, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, if you're serving someone, do sub, do serve, be submissive to their own masters. And that submissive word is the same submissive word that we see the older women the older women uh, as they train the younger women back in verse 5 submissive to their own husbands the younger women were supposed to be submissive so in other words the bond servants are supposed to be submissive just like the wives are and as uh, McGee says this word submissive can be also uh, thought of as responsive or a responder. Younger women respond to their husbands. They are submissive. They are in humility. And just as uh, a bondservant is, you're supposed to have humility towards your employer. In other words, don't let your pride or your ego get in the way. Pride is such a devastating element. In a relationship, if pride comes in, usually arguments and disagreements come in because it's human pride. But be submissive to the employer or to the master in everything. Okay, not just on what you want, but sometimes your employer or your master or let's just use it for modern day. If your employer says this is what we've got to do, it's not now. Your opinion on it is what they feel has to be done. You have to let them make their decisions, and then you have to, you know, that's what they need you to do. That's why they're paying you. 
So be submissives in everything. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. In other words, your job there is not to steal from your employer, but showing all good faith, all good trust, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Wear the doctrine just like its makeup, as McGee says. Put it on. Put the lipstick on of the doctrine. Adorn it. Let it let it be um, like jewelry on display. Let it adorn you as you show all good faith. Uh, verse 11, For the grace of God, now we're talking about the grace of God. The grace of God, this is God's word, this is God's gospel message of Jesus Christ. Has appeared. The grace of God is Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, we're talking about the, the grace of God in the past, present, and the future. Okay? So, grace of God has appeared. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and this grace of God, Jesus Christ, is training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what we're supposed to do now. We're supposed to live it in the present. We're using this grace, this grace of God, training us to live godly lives now. It's not waiting for us to be godly sometime in the future when we think we're better people than we are now. This grace of God is training us to live, to renounce worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives now. Then it says, waiting for our blessed hope. This is what we're looking towards the future. We're living godly lives now as we look towards the future, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is a present day charge, but it is a future charge as well. That's what we're, we're looking forward to this appearance, to the coming back of Jesus Christ. Then verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In other words, that's the past component of grace. The present component is what you do now. Looking towards the future component of grace, the return of Jesus Christ, but all based on the past component of grace the gift of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. You can't live a godly life looking towards the future if Jesus didn't already save you and purify you. It's not what you're doing in this present age that matters. It's what he did in the past that matters. Jesus has already done it. He's purified you. 
And he did it to possess you, to own you, so that he owns you. He has saved you. He has bought you with a price. People who are zealous for good works. So what do we do? Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Declare them, exhort them, and rebuke them. Exhort means to encourage. Say these things. Say the gospel message so that other people can see. Encourage one another in the gospel. And if you have to, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So, what a great, great example for us today as Paul um, instructs Titus. We sure can learn a lot from it. I'll tell you, I can. So, for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time as we finish up Titus tomorrow. Now, I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, hope you're doing great. Can't wait to hear what you have to say on this one. Take it away. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 all the way to verse 15. So this particular chapter teaches that the church is to teach and preach the word of God. So the elders um, of the church uh, were to be ordained. And, you know, they were to do two things. They were to exhort, that was to teach, and to refute the heretics. So, in the first chapter, we learned about, you know, the responsibilities and the qualities of an elder in the church. And, um, you know, how they ought to behave. You know, they were to be sober-minded people. They were to have one wife. They were not to give to wine. And, um, you know, they had to have uh, children who were... um, well-behaved, and so on and so forth. So now here in this particular in the chapter, that's chapter 2, we see, um, you know, the what the church is to do there on the pulpit. So uh, the church is to teach and preach the word of God. And in order for the church to preach uh, and teach the word of God, the elders who were to be ordained by Titus were to exhort, and that's teach. And if they were to teach, they were also, also to refute heretics. Um, so these words... The elders were to be Bible teaching elders, were to know the word of God, the Bible. So verse 1 of Titus chapter 2 reads, But as you speak the things, sorry, let me just read that again. But as you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So here, um, you know, this is important. And, you know, sound doctrine is the doctrine of the apostles. So the early church continued the apostles' doctrine. And uh, this is what is taught to us Um, In these particular epistles, you know, the doctrines of the apostles, you know, this is to preach and to teach and, you know, to break bread. And, um, you know, so these are the sound doctrines that are to be preached today. And this was begun in the early church. Verse 2 goes on to read the older men. So here now it looks at, um, you know, the message for the male senior citizens. And then we'll look at the message for the senior female citizens. So here uh, verse 2 reads the older men must be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. So here, you know, a message for our senior citizens, the older men. And then, um, you know, there's also a message for the senior female citizens. So the older men, they are to be sound in love and patient, sober. You know, they're to be serious and respected 
and they have to have self-control. And these are the older men. And this is where, um, you know, because this is a person who has had experience in life. They are mature in life and all. So these, these are the older men in the church, the elders of the church. So they ought to be, um, you know, they ought to have, um, you know, they ought to be sober-minded people and serious people. And they also ought to be um, respected. You know, they ought to have um, a reverence for God and they ought to have self-control. So verse 3 goes on to read, um, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So here, you know, it looks at, you know, the characters of the senior citizens, the female senior citizens. So, you know, um, they ought to, you know, be in behavior as becometh in holiness. So they ought to be reverent. That's in their behavior. You know, they ought to be not be gossipers and drunks. And, you know, the situation today, like in our country, um, you know, the southern part of Africa, people say, you know, um, most Zambians tend to take much to, you know, the drink, the bottle. And you see a bigger percentage of this is the women, which is actually sad because as a woman, you know, as described here in, uh, uh, in the book of Titus, you know, older women likewise, you know, they ought to be an example to the younger generation because a woman makes the home. So, you know, an older woman, they have to be reverent in behavior. That's um, in, you know, in their behavior. You know, they, they ought to be, you know, not gossipers or drunks. But, you know, the situation is different today. Um, it's the opposite of what scripture is actually teaching. This is why, you know, you see a decay in the homes, in society, in how kids are actually raised. And um, scripture goes on to read in verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands to love their children so here you know they are to teach the young women so these older women are to set an example they are to teach the younger women so older women are to be an example to the young women you know they ought to be you know not given to rhyme they ought to be reverent they ought to be um um you know not slanderers and given to too much wine they ought to give good teachings because they ought to be an example to um, the younger women out there verse 5 goes on to read to be discreet chaste homemakers good obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed so here you know they ought to be keepers of their homes you know they ought to be keepers at home you know Dr. J.V. McGee pointed out you know women um, wives they are workers at home that's the most important job you know they are homemakers so you know a wife a wife's first responsibility is in her home you know home you know as uh, and I agree, totally agree with Dr. J.V. McGee, you know, it's not a playpen. It's actually serious business. And a lot of people tend to get married and, you know, for the wrong reasons. And then in the end, they fail to keep their own home. And then it ends up a disaster because now they pass on the bad manners, the bad attitudes down towards their children. And these are the future generations that you're actually giving out to society. And, you know, we end up with a delinquent society, which is sad. Um, and, um, you know, women should not... You know, women should not want to, you know, with the liberal movement today, you know, women want equal rights to be treated equally like men. But I feel, you know, women should not want to be treated like men. You know, why would you want to go to that plane um, that God did not intend for you and me to be in? You know, why would you want to, 
lower yourself down to the level of men when God actually intended a different path and a different plane for you and me. Because, you know, a woman's role in the home is so important. A woman's role in society is so important because we put out the children that we actually raise today. So if you don't raise your children right, you put out delinquents in society. And, um, you know, the biggest business in the world today is the home. So women ought to be homemakers. They ought to be obedient to their husbands. And here the term obedient um, is those that respond to their husbands. So, you know, how will a woman respond to their husband? I mean, like, if a husband gives, her, gives out love and, you know, gives out respect to the women in the homes, then she's obedient to her husband. Then she will respond in obedience to the husband. Um, if we turn to the book of Romans 8, 7, you know, this is what Paul spoke about, you know, because the carnal mind is an because a carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not, um, sorry, let me just read that again. Because a carnal mind is an enmity to God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So here, you know, this refers to obedience um, in this particular aspect in Romans. So Paul speaks of obedience here. So the thought behind this is that the natural man can't respond to God, so he can't obey God. Because naturally, you know, um, men are rebellious and they're liars, you know, naturally by heart. They are, you know, we've got wickedness in our hearts. And um, this is what Paul is, that's the thought behind it, as in, you know, um, the natural man can't respond and can't obey God. And he has no way of actually doing so. So a wife is to respond to her husband and she is to respond and a man, you know, like a, a, a woman is a responder and a man is an aggressor. So, you know... Um, you know, men, give out love to your wives. Give out respect to your wives. And, you know, that way a woman will actually respond the way that um, Scripture actually says she will respond. Verse 6 goes on to read, Likewise exhorts the young men to be sober-minded. So here it's turned now to young men. So um, it goes on to read, verse 7, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. So here... Timothy was a young man. So now it's turned to Timothy, it's turned to young men. And Tim, uh, here, sorry, not Timothy, Titus. So here Titus was a young man and Paul is saying he is to be a pattern. He used to be an example for young men in the doctrine. So here in corruptness, you know, basically meaning no lack of faith. So Timothy, oh, why do I keep saying Timothy? So Titus is to show, um, you know, is to show his faith. He is to be an example um, in the doctrine. So verse 8 goes on to read, um, Sound speech, that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So here, you know, let our conversations reveal the kind of person that we are today. Some people, you know, the minute they open their mouths, you actually, they actually just reveal like who they are. They actually just reveal they're foolish people. So, you know, our conversations should actually be, reveal who we are the minute we open our mouths. Are we talking sensible or are we just blowing, um, are we talking sensible things rather or are we just blowing hot air? Verse 9 goes on to read, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, uh, be well pleasing in all things, not answering back. So here, here's another group of people. So in the early churches, there were many slaves. And, you know, today, if we relate it in our lives today, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's capital and labor. So the laborers, uh, the laborers, you know, the people, the employees, um, 
um, this is what he's talking about today. So anyone doing the work of Christ today, if they don't put their heart in it, then they should just get out of it. You know, you can't go into doing Christian work in order to make a profit. You know, um, you can't get into a Christian organization to make a living out of it, but you have to get into it because you want to work there. So the heart has to be in it in order for you to actually work in these Christian organizations. A lot of people get into these organizations because, A, you know what, I just want to make a living and a profit out of it with that, without their hearts into it. Then what's the point of actually doing that? Because they tend to think, um, you know, I've done, I've put in the time, I've done my good work, you know, now God has to reward me and save me. When scripture actually just says, it's by faith and faith alone that we're actually saved. So, um, verse 10 goes on to read, not pilfering, but showing all good uh, fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So here, you know, it's basically talking about, you know, don't be a, a thief. Fidelity means faithfulness, you know, be faithful, you know, as a bond servant. And here the word adorn, uh, Dr. Jamie McGee pointed out, like adorn means cosmetics. So let us, you know, adorn ourselves with like um, the lipstick of truthfulness, you know, the powder of sincerity. So let us adorn ourselves with this makeup um, that we may carry ourselves in a way that scripture actually entails us to carry ourselves. Verse 11 goes on to read, um, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men so here now paul now states the gospel so he's moved away from you know uh, the church is to preach and teach the word of god and how the conduct of young men young women senior citizens that's both male and female ought to behave and now he's moved to actually the gospel and here he gives us you know three time zones of the grace of god and he gives us the past, the present, and the future. So the grace of God is in three time zones. So the first time zone here, um, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So the grace of God, you know, God came here, um, you know, the word was made flesh when Jesus Christ came here down on earth, you know, in order to redeem us so that, you know, we may receive salvation. So that's the past. And... Um, Verse 12 looks at the present, so teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So here it talks about, you know, the present time zone of God's grace. So, you know, how are we to live? You know, once we accept Christ in our lives, we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. You know, hence the first preaching of how young men uh, young women ought to conduct themselves in um, their lives, right? So, and now the 13th verse looks at the third time zone of the grace of God. And it reads, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here, this is the third time zone. So we have three time zones here. And Paul wanted to put unto, you know, the Cretans, the doctrine of God's grace. You know, he wanted to lay this particular foundation. So the gospel is good advice. Um, it, you know, it's God's power unto salvation. So we are saved by God's grace and not by love. Yes, you know, the love of God um, is the divine motive for the grace of God. And mer the mercy of God is God's compassion that prompted him to send a savior for us. And, you know, here, the love of God is, you know, the divine motive that actually led to Christ saving us. What is grace? Grace is unmerited um, favor, you know, even if we don't deserve it. And that's how much God loves us. And it's what prompted him to actually save us. So, um, 
you know, Christ, by denying our sins, met the holy demands for justice. Because, you know, God is not only love, he is also holy and just and righteous. And um, by Christ dying for us, he met the holy demands for justice. Because love alone wouldn't have saved us. Because, um, you know, love also, with love also comes righteousness and it demands justice and holiness. And our God is holy and he is right and he is just. And God can only save by grace and it is through by grace that he actually saved us so um scripture goes on to read um who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works verse 15 speak these things exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one despise you so here let no one despise you sometimes you know, you're better off like, um, you know, trying to turn someone to, 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 to God um, and not just put up an argument for the sake of putting up an argument because you won an argument. No. Did you win a soul? You know, sometimes you're better off, you know, going out there and preaching the word of um, compassion and, and the grace of God and the love of God instead of just going out all out to argue like, oh, hey, what you're doing is wrong and things like that. No, we ought to, yes, we ought to actually speak the things that exhort and rebuke with authority. So here, you know, the church is to teach and preach the word of God. And, um, and you know, the elders were compelled to actually um, exhort, that was to teach and rebuke heretics. So yeah, this is like applicable in our situation today. And it's, it's very, very applicable. And, you know, a lot of churches um, that were formed were formed, um, you know, with the basis of these particular epistles that Paul actually wrote um, to Timothy Titus and, you know, from the book of Acts. And this is what um, the churches were actually formed on. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening and God bless and have a pleasant Tuesday. Bye-bye.